This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on November 23rd. It is a Tuesday. It is about 8.15 in Chicago, Illinois, and I always offer up that timestamp, just so you guys know when we're recording this, but it's especially important these days, Brendan, because stuff is happening. Players are signing, and we have heard that a Cubs target, uh, apparently the Cubs have an offer into Steven Matz, but they are one of eight teams on Matz's offer list, and supposedly something is going to be decided in the next couple days. So I offer up uh, what time it is in, in the fine city of Chicago on this Tuesday evening, so that if you're listening to this and he has already signed with the Cubs or otherwise, you know uh, why we were behind on that, I guess. I expect it soon, Brendan. We always get kind of done dirty like that. Oh, yeah. I, I fully expect two options here. The first one is he's going to sign like 30 minutes through this podcast. Then we're going to have to like re-record it. Or he's going to sign tomorrow and we're going to miss it by you know a few hours. That's typically what happens. Yeah, I think if he signs mid-podcast, I think we would do it live. I think everyone would like to hear us react to that live with no uh, thought or preparation. Um, I guess it would be pretty anticlimactic. It's like, oh, he signed with the Red Sox. Okay, anyway, you know, (laughs) like moving on, right? You get a live, depressed reaction. Those are great. Yeah. Um, but we do have, the the Cubs have not uh, done much, but they've done some things, and there is enough going on in the baseball world that we can uh, sit and chat for an hour or so about things that are Cubs-related. So the first thing uh, that the Cubs did is they acquired outfielder Harold Ramirez from the now Cleveland Guardians uh, in exchange for cash. Not a particularly exhilarating move, I suppose, um, but, you know, and, and he may be someone that the Cubs try to sneak through waivers at some point and, you know, get him uh, back in their system. We'll see what they, they ultimately decide to do there, but he is a outfielder, uh, out of options, uh, a guy who is typically rates really high in the exit velocity department. Um, Some of the hardest hit balls, if you're looking at those numbers on like Baseball Savant or StatCast, uh, he's in the upper percentiles in terms of hitting the ball hard. Um, But overall, you know, it has not translated, obviously, to being the productive major leaguer that Cleveland would have wanted. But the Cubs taking a flyer here, obviously with Carter Hawkins coming over from that organization. Perhaps he, a, a guy that he knows well. But Brendan, I, you know, I'm assuming this doesn't really move the needle too much for you. But any thoughts here? I mean, not too many thoughts. He is 27. He's a former top prospect. You kind of just nail the bullet points there. He's someone who hits the ball extremely hard and hasn't clicked at the major league level. If you look. Also, just at his minor league stats, he does not strike out that much, but that comes with swinging a lot, a very, very minimal walk rate to go with a strikeout rate around 15% with, with power. So it's kind of like that Frank Schwindel tier of lots of contact, lots of hard contact, but 
Is he going to walk enough? Is he going to see enough pitches at the big league level? It hasn't happened yet. For Frank, it has happened, and we'll see if that continues. But for Ramirez, the jury is still out. And if he makes the team, I'll be a little bit surprised, but it is a good option to have, especially when Carter Hawkins is familiar with him and what he did in Cleveland. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen the Cubs take flyers on guys like this in the past. You obviously mentioned Schwindel. Um, And, you know, you just are sort of hoping that, you know, you're obviously looking at some of those metrics and saying, okay, we really like this. Can we iron out some of this other stuff and have the exit velocity in this case, right, like really shine through? Mm -hmm. Can they? We'll see. But it, it does sort of add to a pretty crowded mix, at least at the moment, and that is absent any other additions of folks who play the outfield or even additions to the infield that push people to the outfield. So, you know, just looking at things now, you know, you still have Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, uh, Rafael Ortega, someone who we saw, you know, was an obvious, I think, platoon candidate with the way that he hit from, uh, you know, one side of the plate. We saw Michael Hermosillo get some looks. Now you add Harold Ramirez here, and that doesn't even consider if you're banking any time for Brennan Davis to come up next year. You know, obviously he probably won't start with the team breaking camp, but, you know, I think most of us expect him to get up there at some point just with the way that he's uh, plowed through the minor leagues. Nelson Velasquez, who we talked about uh, a good bit recently in his performance in the Arizona Fall League, does he get in that mix? It's a lot of outfielders, Brendan, and for a lot of those guys, you know, save for Brennan, probably, like, you're not really sure what you'd be looking for, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for most of these guys, you know, maybe Ortega, if he was in a platoon where he's only hitting one side, he's he's been somewhat consistent in that regard. You kind of know he's able to do that. But for the rest of the guys, like, I have no idea what you'd be expecting uh, from a lot of those guys. So perhaps that's what the Cubs do, you know, some platoon stuff and hoping you can kind of just, like, maximize those matchups and have some guys shine through, get those, uh, you know, top outcomes like you saw with Frank Schwindel in the second half of 2021. But it's a it's a crowded mix. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what uh, who ultimately breaks camp here with a chance to play in that outfield. The outfield for me, I have a lot of trust issues with with it at the current moment. Ortega played great. He does seem more fit for a platoon role if they opt to even go that direction. At the very least, he does seem to be a useful fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder. Ian Happ finished extremely strong in the second half, specifically in the latter portion of August going through September, but for me, the biggest issue of Ian's season, absent of any offensive trend, was the defense, which took a a little bit of a seat back. He did run slower last year by about one mile per hour, and his defense overall just uh, decreased in value. So can he play center field? That's likely not going to be in the cars. Can he play the corner outfield? Probably, yeah, he probably could. Is there right field? likely not typically those are reserved for the better defenders is it left field sure we've seen people and 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 teams use uh defenders who are not the best in left field but even then you want some type of defensive competency and for for Hap, he just does not appear to be in that tier at this point then it leaves hayward we all know hayward's issues so for me 
I need some more stability. And even if they go out and sign a shortstop and they push Nico to getting time in the outfield, or we've seen Wisdom get reps in left field um, last year, that's still not a stable, confident projection for your outfield. So it's going to be a difficult uh, task to accomplish, improving that outfield this offseason through trades or signings. But from where I'm at right now, I have a lot of anxiety about what that outfield can provide for the Cubs next year. Yeah, there's definitely a lack of like like a, a certainty or a sure thing in, in that group. You're, you'd kind of be looking at it going, well, like I hope this guy does well or right. I hope this platoon works or stuff like that. So like I, and You I, and, can see it go wrong. That's the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, I could definitely see this not working. Oh, yeah. Oh, what, it's extremely like. volatile at the moment. Yeah. yeah I mean, you. Yeah. it would almost be... I, I think you'd probably bet that it would go wrong, right? Like, I mean, you have an entire outfield of question marks, some bigger than others, right? But I think it would be really something if it kind of all came together in the way that you kind of lay it out to. With yeah, well, this group as it stands, and I, I don't know yeah. if that's Jed and, and Carter's intention here. And, you know, if they're able to pass Ramirez through waivers and keep him in the system, like getting depth is always good. And I think it's interesting at the very least to see the Cubs go and identify someone that they just straight up wanted to pay cash for, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that they view him as a starter or an answer to their problems or anything. It could just be something where they like the guy, he's available with what's going on in Cleveland right now, and, you know, you throw some cash their way and and get an interesting player in your system and see if he tears up AAA or something like that or spring training, whatever. Like, maybe that's the plan too. We still have a lot of free agency and off-season runway to go. Well, there's a lot of payroll flexibility too. I think we estimated if they want to be a little bit more aggressive, they probably have around 70 to $80 million to spend. At their current moment, they're around like 95-ish pending arbitration um, settlements. But you look at the outfield market right now, you can see some guys fitting in. You have the Confortos out there and, and Castellanos is obviously out there. If you want to bring back Chris Bryant, he's out there as well. So there are options. And there's also, of course, all the starting uh, pitching options and all the shortstop options we've discussed. So for me, it's trying to prioritize which part of your team has the most volatility. And I think right now it is pitching, just given some of the uncertainties. But right behind the pitching for me is that outfield. I look at shortstop and all right, like I can see Nico getting reps there, but I can also see them going out and getting a defensive competent shortstop at the very minimum and still being okay. And you have Madrigal at second base um, shoring up that middle infield. For the outfield, all three positions are like, I don't know what's going to happen. I could see it going bad for all of them. Um, and maybe more so than the starting pitching staff, given what Tommy Hadovy has done and seeing the rise of Justin Steele and Azalei last season. Like maybe the outfield is the biggest concern at this point, but it changes so fast in this offseason. In the latter half of 2021, not that that's necessarily the largest sample or, uh, you know, that you can draw too many conclusions of it, but it was the pitching that was letting the team mm-hmm. down on a, on a more regular basis. The offense, I think, overall for those last few months ended up doing fine um, and had some some decent numbers in some of those categories, but it was the pitching that just was not there for that right. team. 
But you're concerned, like, all right, like the outfield, even, I mean, this applies to Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom, but like you do, I, I wonder, looking at Ortega and even Ian Happ's adjustments, it's like, all right, so what's the next? Like, what is going to be the next scouting report against these guys mm-hmm. and can they adapt? And for Wisdom, he did adapt through a lot of the changes last season, even though he kind of fizzled out there towards the end. He still showed the capacity to adapt. And you can make the same argument about Hap, but I'm just concerned about the length it took him to adapt. Um, wisdom might be a little bit of a, yeah. of a different scenario. So well, it's, it's, it's tricky. I think, look, like in an ideal world, we're improving everything, right? But I yeah. don't think that's going to happen. So I think you're right that we kind of have to look at things and maybe prioritize like what really needs to get better. What is the easiest route to get these things better? Um, and I I think at least immediately it's the pitching situation. Um, and Jed has sort of stated that, you know, obviously that's the organization's position as well. They started there with Wade Miley. So we might as well transition to one of the topics. We, we touch on this a little bit already. But want to talk about, um, you know, Stephen Matz is, is a good example, but you, you, Brendan, also have brought up some of these other names. Kevin Gossman is another name um, who the Cubs are not connected to, but who seems to be close to choosing a destination. Um, Anthony Descafani uh, going back to San Francisco. Um, you know, so interesting to see what's going on up in, yeah. in San Francisco um, so far. But Matt's is a good example because I think he is one of those guys who's probably looking at a shorter term deal that's not going to be overly costly, but he obviously, you know, has some injury history. He, you know, had some up and down performance, um, you know, even last year with Toronto. And, you know, is he like, is he the answer to your starting pitching problems you know maybe not but he's a he's probably a part of it right and on the terms that the Cubs are probably looking for but Brendan like the the eight offers thing I think is and and ultimately however this plays out I think is going to be a good example of the difficulty in at least what Jed has stated as the team's strategy right in terms of trying to be intelligent with your spending and get guys on on short-term deals that aren't really altering the the timeline of everything that you're doing and you know clogging up your your payroll and stuff like that because ultimately like this could come down to anything right it could come down to the city that he and his family want to live in uh where he likes to eat the public school systems that his kids are going to go to right like it it's you can really want a guy you can have the best offer and sometimes it it doesn't work that way and and when you're trying to be so deliberate about things like the cubs are as it seems that they are this is kind of where it gets a little dicey, right? And and if they're not willing to blow everyone out, else out in terms of the offers, sometimes you might have to just uh, turn to the next guy. So I know you've been a big fan of Matt's, so I'm assuming you're hoping that the Cubs are the offer that he chooses, but how do you feel, you know, now we've had at least some other stuff happen since we last spoke, how are you feeling about the pitching market and where we're going here. I like the state of the pitching market, especially because Duscafani signed for three years, $36 million. I'm like, whoa, that is a really, really 
<laughs> efficient deal for the Giants. I would have, I mean, I would have paid more for Del Scalfani. For Matt, that signals to me he's not going to make a, a crazy amount of money. What that ends up being, maybe around like 60, 70 ish million, maybe 80 million. I'd be surprised if he goes above 90 in the 100 million category, but you, you never know. But the assumption is Matt's is going to be affordable and he's not going to require this six plus year contract. He'll be 31 going uh, in the middle course of the season next year. He's still relatively young in terms of that type of lefty on the age curve. Think of John Lester. So I, I like his entire potential, not just for 2022, but beyond. And because of that, because the Cubs are likely or have a great chance of being competitive for 2023, let's shore that up. Let, let's have some type of stability going into 2023, 2024, and, and beyond. And for right now, given the uncertainties after the lockout and the market, I don't know what a Steven Matz is going to cost next offseason. So if he's going to cost you four years, 70, 80 million, that might be worth it to Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins and shoring up this this entire pitching staff, having that clog in the middle of your rotation. Now, is he going to be that playoff ace where you're going to rely on him You know, every third day, as we saw in 2016 with Lester and Hendricks and, and Arietta? I don't know. Maybe. I think he has the potential for that. But the way the game has changed over the last five years it's not a necessity anymore it's 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 part of your identity if you can do that great but it's not a necessity you can still win games in different unorthodox ways these days but for Matt's this is this is really why I like him just reducing it down number one yes he does not have like over 200 innings but over the last three full seasons 29 32 30 starts so He's starting basically every fifth day. Like the average starter gets around 32 to 33 starts. So he's hitting that threshold already. So no significant injuries, like really significant injuries in the past three full seasons. You can check that box. There's some stability there. For the overall numbers then, he does not walk that many guys. He's had a a walk per nine in his career uh, below three. So his walk per nine is 2.7. And that's been carried out for the last three full seasons. And he throws in the mid 90s, man, with a sinker and four other pitch types. So he's your classic multi-pitch left-handed hard thrower. Kind of sounds familiar with John Lester, although John back then had way better seasons, a bigger track record of stability, and he became a Cubs legend. So it's not, you know, apples to apples here. But, um, I do think Matt's with that type of salary projection, stability, throws fast, left-hander, sinker guy, Tommy Hadaby loves sinkers, kind of makes sense. Like it just, you can kind of feel it. Now there's other teams, uh, seven offers in, in addition to the Cubs, that does give me some hesitancy, but I can see it working out. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Cubs. Yeah. And so John Morosi actually tweeted out, um, like 15 minutes ago. Oh no, what happened? No, no, no. no. Try we would have already been uh <laughs> we would have already been on it. But okay. he said Stephen Mance has at least one two-year offer that he could accept in the next 24 hours. So th- this is likely not th- this this is sounding like exactly the type of deal 
the Cubs would be interested in, right? It's not going to eat up a lot of money, and it's not going to eat up a lot of time, right? And if he's great and you're not good, you can move it off. It's not a big contract for somebody else to take on, etc., right? So if this is who they want, like, go get him, right? And I have to assume that that's the attitude that they have. So if they miss, they... My thinking would be that Jed has a number for Matt's that he likes and feels makes sense. And beyond that, he's not the guy worth pushing for, I suppose, you know, and, and that, that can be the case, right? Like you don't necessarily always want to be in a bidding war with seven other teams, uh, unless you feel really strongly about the guy. And then in that case, you know, you do what you can to make sure you have the best offer. So I suppose we'll see, uh, maybe in the next 24 hours, if, Stephen Matz was Jed's guy, and they, you know, felt like making sure they had the best offer. Yeah, and I, I, I see the 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 cons against making this type of move. If you're going to spend that much money, around eighty million dollars, maybe you do want someone who has a greater track record of stability, who does approach two hundred innings. Sure, like maybe that's what Jed is also thinking, and that might be why he doesn't go towards that upper tier of of his asking price that's all a possibility but given where the cups are financially and given the current state of the pitching staff and what Matt's has to offer I like it well if he doesn't sign with the cubs and so, so be it There's so let me options. let me ask you this then like preemptively right because I I assume a decision is going to be made tomorrow we'll we'll see what happens and like Brendan and I can always jump on again when stuff happens but we'll, we're talking about it now so I'm, I'm not sure we'd have much more to say but Let's say he chooses somewhere else, right? You've seen Descafani mm-hmm. sign. You then would have seen Mats go somewhere else. Like I said, Kevin Gossman sounds like it was only a few teams and the Cubs were not in that group. Like, are you okay with that? Are you starting to look around and be like, okay, well, you better get Marcus Stroman or <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here. Noah Syndergaard also signed somewhere. Like, Or are you still kind of status quo like we'll see what happens there's a lot of interesting names out there like there's there's plenty of avenues for them to fill out this rotation i mean mass and stroman are my are my top targets right now i like john gray i've always liked kevin gossman gossman if you're going to give someone that much money given who the other guys are in the market gossman's a little bit more volatile in projections i think he has among perhaps the highest ceiling of anyone in that group, but he's he is volatile. So if they don't sign Mats, to me, gotta get one of Gossman, uh, Stroman, or Gray. You just you just have to do it because the same type of volatility in a in a Kevin Gossman in my mind can also be applied to what the market's going to look like next year. So there is uncertainty in the player himself but also in the organization's future a year from now so this could be an opportunity where maybe you are going to get a cost-effective pitcher at a price that makes sense for a competitive window in 2022 and 2023 and years beyond that so in my mind if they don't sign mats you you gotta get you gotta get one of the other guys you just have to do it and if if we're going to pick among the other guys then yeah of course strome is my number one person Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that makes sense. And uh, of course, there's always trades to explore. You know, you never know what's going to pop yeah, up in that market and who might be available. So, you know, something to consider. Uh, before we, we have some younger guys to continue talking about. But before we get to that, I do just want to mention, um, you know, December 2nd, 
that area is important because that's when the CBA runs out uh, and you're hearing a lot of this lockout stuff. And I think Manfred said, uh, you know, last week that uh, a lockout that gets them closer to a resolution isn't the worst thing in the world as long as it's, you know, not leading to any missed games. And while that's technically true uh the the belief i think amongst cynics uh which i would probably count myself amongst is that the one lockout may lead to a longer lockout or another lockout and like it doesn't necessarily work out the way that he described and obviously i don't trust rob manfred at all uh with anything so i'm just bringing it up uh to remind you that you might see a flurry of free agent moves. They The league moved up the non-tender deadline, the, the tender deadline for players that you have to either non-tender or decide to tender a contract to, uh, to the end of November so that those players, if they are non-tendered, can sign with a team before the lockout because you've heard some of these guys Matt's is one of them Corey Seager sounds like another where they want to have this done they do not want to go into the lockout without a deal without a new home and you know being able to figure all of that out so perhaps we see a flurry in the next you know 10 plus days or so uh, just putting that on your radar and then also just putting on your radar that they're you know we're kind of close to a lockout Uh, so you know something you have to keep in mind everyone. I mean, based on what's happened over the last, was it, year and a half now with COVID negotiations and, and Manfred's weird shift in, you know, speeding up the game versus not speeding up the game and the gambling emphasis, like, he's all over the place. Like, like Manfred, Corey, I, I, don't, under, I don't understand it. It's, it's the, the sport is so frustrating to follow at times when you have these types of like uh, figures at the top. So I have, listen, you can put me in that cynic category as well. I hate being there, but baseball has kind of given us no option to, to, to think otherwise. I mean, the fact they're moving up the deadline like this, it's a certainty they're going to a lockout. And during that time period for, you know, a few months, that's going to suck for baseball. That just sucks when you're, when the, the biggest spotlight is on a potential shortened season again for the second time in in basically as many years you're messing up like you're you're not you're not you're just simply not doing a good job yeah and i mean obviously the hope is that they iron this stuff out you know hopefully uh as we've sort of always said that that some of these new policies or rules start to benefit the players more rather than the owners uh, but, you know, again, it's just like, you know, normally we'd be heading into the winter meetings and, and sort of a, a flurry of action. And at least for me, like this was always a time of year where like I like to keep the MLB network on pretty much like all day, uh, except for when high heat comes on. Chris Russo is really awful. But oh, I thought he was your favorite. Yeah, I digress. Um, mm. And, you know, just sort of like seeing what's happening, seeing teams making these moves, sort of shaping their season. And, you know, come December 2nd, like they're locked out. So that's not going to be the case. So that's, you're right. It's just not good. It's not a good look. And again, you're you're sort of resting your hope that these sides can come to an agreement and get things done. And, you know, maybe they will. Hopefully they will. They'll have plenty of time. But, you know. Uh, anyway right like i you know yeah i I I mean like that's uh, that's going to be the majority of the of the talking points for a few months right it's not going to be on 
you know, the free agents and where Strowman going to sign if he doesn't sign yeah. or where it's not is Castellano sign. It's a terrible look. Yeah. So, and we might have some rule changes when we come out on the other side. So that's also something to consider. But what, uh, a couple things to talk about on the prospect side. Uh, that's pretty much it for the major league side. The, the Cubs didn't hire any new coaches in the last week. I know the last like five episodes we've been introducing a new coach to you guys. So uh, we're, we're all set there. So that's good, um, I suppose. But uh, some stuff on the on the prospect side. So it sounds Jordan Bastion of MLB and Cubs.com, friend of the podcast, of course, reporting today that it sounds like Tommy John is going to be the outcome for Miguel Amaya. Uh, he obviously missed most of 2021 with, uh, I guess, what they thought was a forearm strain, but it's it sounds like it's going to be Tommy John. So, of course, you know, obviously your, your first reaction is that this is, uh, you feel terrible for Miguel. It's been a, a rough stretch for him in terms of his development, getting derailed uh, pretty much, you know, the, each of the last few seasons now. And this is going to carry into the next one, of course, with the timetable for Tommy John. Then you're kind of wondering, like, you know, was there a way to have identified this earlier because he's been out for a while with the forearm strain and you're just getting to this surgery now. So that's going to pretty significantly impact, um, you know, his future and next year and and however long it takes for him to recover from that. Um, But, you know, Brendan, like this is, this is a tough blow. I mean, obviously for Amaya, you feel terrible personally. If we're talking about things from a prospect perspective it's it's been a a real just sort of sad state of affairs I think with how this has gone you know for someone who was once uh, a top prospect in this system kind of getting to that point where he was feeling like he was knocking on the door right and and the way that he was performing and just has not been able to progress in these last few seasons and so it's it's really hard to have any idea what his future holds and it's it's really hard to kind of know where you take stock of him like in terms of the 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 prospects and where he is in the organization because this is this is a tough thing to overcome and he's going to be doing it coming off of you know more downtime and injury time and it's it's a tough gap to fill in oh it sucks man because before the injuries you saw him kind of grow up like physically he looked larger i mean remember those pictures of him during winter bowl it's like wow is this a minor leaguer or a major leaguer just ready ready to take the backstop so that that sucks and of course the injury coming off of a covid shortened season man it puts such a dent in his projections i don't know if you can be any confident about his timeline or, or what you expect now the talent should still be there right like thankfully tommy john for position players and catchers they come back they have success um and that bodes well for amaya's future it just sucks though because with wilson's year left on his contract you would like some certainty where you have with your next catcher with you know you presumably a couple years ago your next top uh, catching prospect that's just not going to be there do you think at, at this point. Uh, not to interrupt you there but on that note do you think that this 
affects the situation with Wilson at all? Because my read on that would have been like, obviously, at, at a time, you were hoping that Amaya was going to succeed him. And, and if there was offers for Wilson or you weren't able to reach uh, a good spot on an extension, you'd just move to Amaya, right? But you you couldn't have been confident in that for a while now. And we've still heard this stuff on Wilson. So I, my, my initial read on that was that they're, they maybe aren't really that related. Is that is that fair? Just because like when when was the last time, given his his injuries and and sort of the derailments that Amaya's had, when was the last time that you would have been confident in saying like, yeah, this guy's you know going to be the successor to Wilson. He's going to be our starting catcher. Well, you don't you don't know, right? He hasn't played, so that's 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 the issue. Well, so it's that's like, what right. I mean, though. Yeah, I feel like well, you've had to have operated with that logic for some time now and we've still heard this kind of wishy-washy stance on Wilson in that mm-hmm. time so I, I'm just mm-hmm. wondering if that if if like this really affects that like I, I saw oh, some of yeah. the some of the takeaway today was like oh Ama- you know Wilson's gonna get an extension now because the Cubs don't have any process you know depth at that position but like that that, that didn't become true today mm-hmm. right you know what I mean yeah, no, I totally understand. I think um, the real issue was when Amaya got injured, you know, this season when he was playing. Like, the moment he went down in Tennessee with only 100 plate appearances in a season, that signaled, uh-oh, like, we can't confidently project Amaya next next season. And because of that, Wilson seems like a necessity. And he, he always has been a necessity, don't get me wrong, but even more so now. So the fact that you lost 2021 and seeing what his performance would project does have a direct effect on Wilson. And that was the case seven months ago. Like, you're right. Like, right now, him going down and missing, you know, a big part of next season, perhaps is not going to have much bearing in my mind on negotiation talks this offseason. But if the Cubs' intention was, okay, let's let's talk with Wilson, but let's keep the negotiations open during next season, and if Amaya was having a lot of success in Tennessee or Iowa, depending on where he ends up, like in May or June, I think that does kind of tilt the discussions for a Wilson extension. Um, that that's where I'm at. I'm more disappointed that it got it got to this point where now you thought a year ago, like when we were having a discussion a year ago, I could have easily seen Amaya having a good season, developing, and having a conversation now where it is, hey, do you want to give Wilson an extension with Amaya basically ready, basically at the big league level, ready to take over? And that would have been a more exciting worthwhile discussion but at this point you just can't confidently project anything for Amaya so does that mean you're going to give Wilson an extension maybe Corey like honestly maybe if you have no one else coming up through the system and you do want stability and the money makes sense and yeah I think like his injury and specifically because of the injury last May I think it does perhaps change things yeah, and, and we've talked about the Wilson situation. I think we're both, you know, generally in favor of that given the the state of the Cubs 
catching prospects in the system, given how good Wilson is, the the person that he is. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, that's obviously something that has to come to a head at some point. Um, it also, you know, given how the trade deadline played out, you know, it'd be nice to like have anybody around for, you know, a <laughs> longer period of time, right? Like that'd be cool, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But want to, so sort of the flip side of that in, I guess, prospect news that is maybe more uplifting or, or trending in, in the better direction um, is Braylon Marquez. So mm. we've we heard Jed Hoyer talk about Braylon, uh, I think in this offseason, as potentially someone who could be used as a pitching weapon, is the phrase that Jed used. And you and I, Brendan, talked about that as we were watching the 2021 playoffs go on, and especially seeing you know the Astros and Braves in the World Series using openers and longer relievers and relying on, you know, I guess in their organization, guys, you would probably refer to as pitching weapons. Um, and so, you know, we, we obviously intrigued by that, but, you know, Marquez has also had a, a, a sort of tricky developmental timeline that has been derailed at times. And, you know, you've sort of gotten to that point where he's been passed on on some of the prospect rankings and it, it was in more of a like, well, you know, we'll see. We got to kind of wait and see uh, with him type situation. So, uh, Jordan Bastian again, uh, who does great work. I know we talk about him all the time, but one of the one of the best guys on the Cubs beat over at Cubs.com. And he spoke with the Cubs farm director, Matt Dory, uh, who had some quotes that I, I think, you know, again, like when we hear these quotes, you know, they're all they're usually gonna say good things. But like just hearing this, especially about Marquez, um, was intriguing at the very least. So Dory said, quote, he's in such good shape physically right now. He just really got after it with his nutrition. It's unbelievable how good of shape he's in right now. And then he was asked about that sort of pitching weapon idea, specifically as it related to as soon as 2022, so like this season. And Dory sort of added to that sentiment saying, quote, that's real. That's not smoke and mirrors. His job is to continue to crush this offseason and take what he's done to this point and really parlay that into a healthy major league camp where there's, for the first time in a while, a real opportunity for him to come in and win a job. So those are you know, nice quotes to hear, right? Like, certainly it could just be uh, generic praise from someone in the organization and stuff like that. But we had heard that Marquez is is getting on track to be throwing off of a mound uh, by the end of the year here. And, you know, you put together what Jed said, you put together what Matt Dory is saying here, and just, of course, the pedigree, right? And, and, and the reputation that Marquez had despite some injuries. And this is pretty interesting. Interesting, Brendan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Braylon's on the other side of, of uh, the injury discussion when you talk about Amaya, as you said. Uh, it'd be nice if Amaya was in Braylon's position right now getting geared back up, but he has been new, uh, doing a throwing program. Started, started a few weeks ago, and hearing the nutrition stuff, I got to see a picture of Braylon if that's the case. Like, that sounds very exciting. And uh, Cubs do have a good nutrition program, although they did not hire me about eight years ago to make smoothies for the team in spring training. I still regret that. Um, that's okay. Apparently, Rizzo met his wife through one of the other smoothie makers there. Um, Emily was one. That's fine. But uh, yeah, still not holding a grudge. But for Braylon... 
the 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 spectrum of possibilities for a season next year is so wide. Uh, being a starter seems unrealistic at this point, just because of the innings load. Uh, and when I say that, like I like maybe he does start, but I don't even see him doing what what Alzali did last year, where we starting going four or five innings, maybe take some time off, finish the year off in the bullpen. Like I see Alzali's direction in twenty twenty one as being like the 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 best case scenario for Braylon. I just don't see that happening. Now, if he goes out there and he throws like 70 innings for the, for the team next year, that would be huge, Corey. That would, that would be really big. And if it goes anywhere above 70 innings, then you're talking about multi-inning roles or a Joe Madden, Steve Cizek type usage, which let's hope it doesn't happen to, to Marquez at this point. So I'm optimistic that at the very least, even if it's not 70 innings, if it's like 40 to 50 innings, that would be a major boost to this bullpen. Braylon throws triple-digit heat, 101, 102 miles per hour. He was developing a two-seamer, a sinker. We even saw that um, a little bit from Tommy Hadevies uh, and and Craig Breslow talking about it last season during the COVID season. So I mean, there's a lot there, man. You can see mm-hmm. it too if the Cubs are competitive, where he becomes kind of that fireman. And from the entire bullpen, from just stuff alone, like not many people have as good of stuff as Berlin Marquez, not just from the Cubs bullpen, but even in the league, man. He's a big lefty, throws triple digits. You don't see that very often. Yeah, well, and I, you know, obviously that would be exciting, and it it sort of just goes to again, kind of that similar conversation of where pitching is headed and how teams are winning. And you're certainly going to need depth in the rotation. You're going to need guys, as we talked about all last year, over and over and over again. You're going to need guys to give you length, right? Somebody has to eat innings at some point. It's very difficult to manage 162 games sort of playing chess like that, right? Like I think the Rays are probably the best example of that, but that's it's very difficult to be able to do that and continue that success all the way into the later portion of the season and then ultimately the playoffs if you get there. But it's it's a good place to be that the Cubs at least have some interesting arms and perhaps a question as to what to do with them, right? Like where does Justin Steele fit in? Guys like that, right? And as long as you have guys who can get outs, right? There's ways to make it work. You need the depth. You need guys to give you six, seven innings on occasion, right? You you just you just need that still. It's where where the Cubs are positioned. But being able to have kind of that interesting pitching staff and and maybe by certain points in the year you're able to kind of be more precise with it. Like we've seen teams win games that way, right? Like not everybody wins with some starting pitcher going eight innings and then their lights out closer comes in and that's the only recipe for success. Like the game has changed a lot. And I think the way that they're talking about Braylon in particular kind of fits right in with that. And if he's able to stay healthy and have a good camp, I think that would be huge for this team, obviously, right? Like he was a, he was a yeah. huge prospect for this team. Like him being able to be a part of this team. And as you're saying, Brendan, use that arsenal in any amount of innings in any way for David Ross mm-hmm. and Tommy Hadovy. Like that would be huge. Yeah, and that makes the signing of Wade Miley so much more important because you have to look at it as like stretching out the entire pitching staff 
when you bring in Wade Miley because now you do have someone who can eat innings at an average value allows Braylon to be used a little bit more conservatively that way perhaps when August comes or September comes he's rested he's used in familiar situations that he may not have otherwise been used in if someone like Wade Miley for 10 million dollars was not pitching in the previous four months so that's why when we look at the way the Cubs can win games eating innings Jed talked about it Tommy Hadi talked about it. That's a priority. And that's why, not to come full circle here, but that's why you have got to get one of these free agent starting pitchers, man. Like, even if it's not Strowman, you gotta get Gray. You got you gotta get someone here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go to two more good things in the Cubs prospect world. We had talked a bit about Nelson Velasquez and what he was doing in the Arizona Fall League, and he was named the MVP of the Arizona Fall League, Uh, so that is very exciting. It's a very prospect-laden league. Uh, The competition is very good, and Nelson was the best, so that is very, very good. Um, but also we saw a, a really good performance from Caleb Killian, uh, who you may remember mm-hmm. came over in the deal for Chris Bryant from the San Francisco Giants. Uh, and he had one bad outing to start the Arizona Fall League. And as we kind of always say, you can't just remove that, right? Um, it happened. You, you can keep it in the proper context, but from then on, in the AFL, he was really, really good, and he took the mound in the championship game. Uh, the you know it's a, a winner take all game last Saturday, uh, and he pitched six perfect innings, eighteen up, eighteen down, with sixteen whiffs on sixty eight total pitches. Uh, he had eight strikeouts in the game. He featured several pitches in this one. And I mean, Brendan, I, like I'll let you go on Killian first. We can, we, we already kind of talked about Velasquez. I have a, at least a little bit of a question on him for you at the end, but let's start with Killian. Um, yeah. what are we seeing here? And, you know, because I think like, He's one of those guys who people knew from the trade, but like six perfect innings in the championship game of a league that is filled with top prospects is not something to just gloss over. This was a masterful performance. It was, and he's coming off a season in which he threw 15 starts in double A. He's basically ready, Corey. He will be pitching at Wrigley next season at some point in some capacity. He's part of the discussion. He's part of this discussion even for the starting pitching staff. Maybe not from day one, but at some point in late April, May, June, he might be. And I mean, maybe even during spring training, we'll see what happens. But the biggest focal point for Killian this AFL was not just the success, but it was the development of his spike curveball. And you saw that spike curveball on display in that championship game, pitch after pitch. And when that is being used with three different fastball types, a cutter, a four seam, a two seam, and then we're hearing about a new circle changeup grip, you you start to imagine and you start to go down these these deep rabbit holes of like, huh, maybe Killian's like actually going to be a top three guy in this staff. Like, 
when you have someone who throws 97 miles per hour with the relative consistency as he did in the AFL championship game it's like wow all right like how did I mean how did other teams miss him why is he not higher on prospect list and the answer to that was well in the past his slider was not the best and he was heavily reliant on command and commanding his fastball which is good so if the Cubs then can use his command and add in an actually actual useful secondary pitch, then those previous scouting reports that criticize his inability to get better hitters out and get whiffs, that's a thing of the past. Then what do you criticize him on? Because he was not walking anyone last year. I mean, his walk per nine innings was 1.1 with the Giants, Corey, in 11 starts in AA. With the Cubs, it was just over two in four starts. He does not walk anyone. His K per nine was over nine in both cases without the spike curveball facing double A hitters who are also knocking on the door for their big league teams. This is huge. This is on par in my opinion, maybe even to a greater immediate degree than Nelson Velasquez because he's going to be part of the discussion in spring training and I will be floored if he does not get a chance to start by June of next year. Yeah, I mean, this was a really, like, impressive outing. I mean, I think the the stats kind of speak to themselves, like, when you're talking about eight strikeouts and stuff like that. But if you if you can, you know, find—there's a lot of clips on social media. Um, you know, we talked uh, about a lot of those guys. We've had a lot of them on the show. Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation, Greg Huss from uh, the Growing Cubs podcast, and and a lot of those guys, they, they, they tweeted out a lot of this video. But if you can find it, like— it's just a really impressive pitching performance. Like you just see the stuff, the sequencing, the way he's attacking these really good and, and highly touted hitters. And it, it was just one of those games where you're like, wow, like this is, he's commanding all his pitches. He's getting whiffs. He's, uh, d- you know, darting things on the edges of the zone. He's locating things perfectly. Like this is really one of those outings that that makes you stand back and take notice. And I think at, at the deadline, you know, one of our, key reactions was like you know obviously that was all over the place with emotions and thoughts and perspectives given who was being traded but ultimately Jed made the moves and you wanted him to win right and this is the type of outing that makes you think you know I think Jed might have won you know uh and he might have won big you look back at some of these moves, and in hindsight, it's like, huh, all right, well, maybe Jed was right, Corey. You can see how Rizzo's market's shaping up. You see how KB's market might be shaping up. It's like, all right, well, I see it. It still sucks to happen, right, right that, that we still couldn't even extend him at maybe some uh, efficient prices. But you see how Killian's developing, and I was just at Instructs about a month ago, and you see, like, like Alexander Canario, and you see Kevin O'Contara. It's like, wow, like, all right, we, we have some guys in the system. Right. And they're developing fast. Yeah. Like, we, we've talked a lot about how we got to the trade deadline and a lot of the stuff that went into it that, uh, you know, most of us don't really agree with, et cetera, et cetera. But it happened. It's over. And the only thing you can do, like I said, is hope that Jed won. And... In, in a lot of these cases, really, like the early returns from what we got in the second half of 2021 and continuing here into fall ball and, and some of the other stuff that goes on, seems like they knew what they were doing, at least so far, right? So there's still plenty of time for things to work out or not work out, but 
this was this was a big performance on the on a on a, on a big stage, and I think that you know all of that kind of combines to uh, really matter. So with Velasquez, the one thing I wanted to ask you, um, and I, I suppose it, it's it's fair game with someone like Killian as well, but uh, Velasquez, just because we're talking about the outfield with the Cubs and and stuff like that, and so. Um, my question to you is, let's take this from the perspective of someone who's not really paying attention to the minor leagues at all. Uh, and they read that the Cubs had a player who won the MVP in the Arizona Fall League. He put up huge numbers. He had a, a big second half. He's made these changes. Like, in in layman's terms, like in simple terms, how, do, how does Velasquez's performance affect the 2022 Chicago Cubs. Are they going to buy into his changes and adjustments and look at him as someone who could potentially break camp as a starter in the outfield, give him that shot? Is it like you said with Killian, where it's maybe a midseason thing? Like, how important is what Nelson Velasquez did to the immediacy of the Chicago Cubs? Uh, he's in the discussion right when you have success in double a and you become the mvp of the top prospect uh postseason league he's got to be in the discussion to play at some point next season breaking camp as part of the 26-man roster like i i don't know that seems kind of like a stretch but it's a conversation that we're having so that speaks volume in and of itself i don't like this is the trickiest part of the offseason for me because you have Velasquez, you have Brennan Davis. They're both very, very close to being ready, if not ready already. So how does that impact other moves, free agents, trades? That will be what Jed has to figure out. But Nelson is in the discussion and the the limitations of his entire performance right now and his projections are just based on not having enough playing time. That's really what it comes down to. There, like you're not going to see Nelson on basically anyone's top 15 prospect list. Maybe he'll be up there now, but even top 10, you're likely not going to see him in this system, which is weird because he has won the AFL MVP and he has had success in Double A, having batted 290 with eight homers and 100, almost 140 plate appearances. But the reason he's not in the top tier of Cubs prospects is because previously, before 2020, he was striking out a lot. He was not hitting for as much power. He didn't play that much. Like in 2018, only had 120 plate appearances in Able. And then 2019, he barely played. He was injured. And he only has 70 plate appearances in Able. 2020 was a wash. And then 2021 comes up in high A and strikes out at a 34% clip. So of course, when you see these types of extreme strikeout numbers at lower levels, as as immediate as of a year ago, then you do have to wonder and put the brakes on. It's like, all right, well, can this guy be part of the 2022 Cups future? And the answer, I think, is yes, because those strikeout numbers that we were talking about were a byproduct of different mechanics. If you listen to some of the Marquee Network's recent interviews with Velasquez and you just watch the video, what Nelson has done is 
flatten out his bad path, and he's done so by implementing a toe tap. Think of that Sammy Sosa type toe tap. And for him, that's been a, st- a stable feature for a swing. And when he when we saw him implement that toe tap and the mechanical change, boom, strikeout numbers go way down. Uh, in in Double A this year, struck out at a twenty five percent clip, almost ten percentage points down from High A. And then in the AFL, I run a 28% clip, which is really not that bad. And then what followed with that? More walks. He walked at a 16% clip in the AFL. And in that type of sample, being almost 130 plate appearances in the AFL, that's a stable sample size. You can rule out likely more than more randomness than not. And that to me signals, okay, mechanical change, success, real. As a result, you have to weigh that type of performance and put him in the conversation of carving out space for him to develop, get at bats, and contribute to what we hope to be a competitive team. All right. Well, that sounds fair. Um, I mean, like, I mean, is that going to stop the Cubs from signing Starling Marte or like Castellanos? No. But if they're not going to get those guys, then yeah, I think, I think, I think you have to talk about Nelly in that conversation, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's fair. That's that's pretty much what I was asking. So I think that's uh, what we have for you. As I said at the beginning, I fully expect this to be out of date uh, at some point tomorrow, uh, just because it sounds like Stephen Matz is going to make a decision. So uh, I do think that we offered up a pretty clear takeaway from that, though, uh, whether they do sign him or don't. But it's just that time of year. So, um, you know, with everything, like, we'll get on if it's worthwhile and we have stuff to uh, break down and, and be excited about or, or otherwise. Um, and otherwise, we will talk to you guys next week. Uh, if you guys are, you know, with family or friends or whatever this week, hope you guys have a good time doing that or maybe able to take off a little bit of work and just uh, enjoy this time of year. Um And if not, hope things are are well for you as well. So we will talk to you guys soon. Perhaps the Cubs will or maybe will have not done anything uh, worth talking about, but we will talk to you guys next week as we are, when we talk to you guys next week, we will be right around uh, the MLB locking out. So that's always exciting and maybe it'll lead to uh, some action in the free agent market. But otherwise, thank you for listening. And as always, go Cubs.